good evening. Welcome. It's not the qu quantity, it's the quality, right? We got the quality tonight. That's it. That's what it is. Well, I think the guys are going to have the uh, words on the screen, but if you'd like to follow along in the hymn book, turn to hymn book, hymn number 
three rock of ages left for me.
Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day that you gave us, for your love and your care and your watching over us, for the blessings you bestow upon us. And Lord, we thank you that we have this opportunity to gather together and to worship you in spirit and in song. And Lord, we ask to be with the pastor as he speaks to us tonight. May everything that's said and done here honor and glorify you be with the offering, may be used to further your work. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Miss Betty. We have a video here for Annie Armstrong. It starts, kicks off our week of prayer. While he's hitting play on that, if you do not have a bulletin, you want to grab one tonight to be able to follow along as well as get your prayer guide. So they're right back there at the Welcome Center. All right, Chris, we're ready for our video. It's our Annie Armstrong video. Today's Not only is it the only first Arkansas-based baby food company, but the mom who created it says all the ingredients come from Northwest Arkansas farms. I was working for a local television station as a broadcast news reporter. And then I met Dave. And her <laughs> whole world changed. <laughs> Somebody invited me to Seattle just to learn about church planning for three days. Really instantly got gripped by this sense of lostness and darkness. Yeah, it's really just well known for a lot of new age, kind of Eastern religion. But if God's called us to this place, He's called us to plant our lives here. We did feel like God gave us a great affirmation and a sense of peace for mm -hmm. this particular spot for us to do His work. I just began going to a local park and I would meet moms and just talk. That really mm -hmm. set the groundwork for building these relationships that became friendships. Mm -hmm. And then we began meeting in our home. And then it grew. And then we made two groups. Yeah. And then that group. God really opened up doors at the community center. And so when we got there, we met in one little room in the community center. And we took the doors, you know, the sliding doors, and we met in two rooms. And then last fall, we moved to the gymnasium. Yeah, we have anywhere from 75 to 95 people on a Sunday morning. So it's exciting, We're, it's, it's thriving. When people give to missions, it may seem like this very generic offering, but it turns into very significant things that we can utilize to better help us do our ministry and our work here. 
I was a journalist, I was a news reporter, and, and those things defined me. God stripped all of that away, and so it taught me to find my identity in Christ. Because when we came up here, I, I didn't feel capable. You know, like Jesus and the fishermen, he was like, come on, call you, be fishers of men. It's truth. Mm -hmm. And when we are able to just share that truth with people, it literally gives them hope. Today is day one of the the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. We are blessed to be part of the Southern Baptist Convention. In your bulletin, you should have your prayer guide. You are committing beginning today all the way through next Sunday to pray for eight days. You will pray for different missionaries. Today is Dave and Mary Elif. They are church planners in Seattle, a lost area. 95% of the people do not attend a Bible-believing church in the neighborhood that they are planning a church in. There's a great need in the cities, such as influential cities such as Seattle. And it's neat that this is a young couple that left their career in Arkansas to say, we're going to do the Lord's work. I want you to give to Annie Armstrong. Our church goal is $7,878. Last year we gave, I believe Vicki Sims told me this week, I believe it was six, a little over 6000 So it's a little bit higher this year. So I want to encourage you to give. Your giving goes to support people such as Dave and Mary Elif, who are church planners. It's exciting to be able to give. So all the way through Easter, this whole week you'll be praying for this. Put this in your Bible. But through Easter you'll be hearing about the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. It's it's encouraging to be a part of that. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Then keep your finger in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. We will also be looking at our Bibles tonight in Revelation chapter 2. Acts chapter 15, Revelation chapter 2. Those will be our two scripture uh, references tonight. We are going through the gospel, well not the gospel, it's the Acts of the Apostles. The gospel of Mark is on, on Wednesday night. But you need to pull out your bulletin insert right here because we are talking about something that I believe could not be any more important than right now. Uh, a preacher we had this morning was outstanding. Um, his message was absolutely true if you heard what he was saying. What he was saying is, he's saying basically our culture is redefining all relationships. Because the theme for D-Now Weekend was fused. Meaning teenagers need to be fused with God. They need to be secondly fused in their family, they talked about parroting, talked about honoring and obeying your mom and dad. And then it's talking about being fused with, with your friends in a dating relationship and among your friends at school and church friends. What does that look like to be fused? And what the young man was saying, was he saying, if you go out in the culture, if you go out in Dunbar High School, and you let them tell you about what, let them define what relationships and what marriage look like, it will look radically different than what this book 
here tells us we should know. And that's why it's so important that we not let the culture define relationships, define marriage, define uh, sexuality, when God has clearly defined it here in Scripture. Now tonight, this is why it's tonight so important. We're going to be looking at something called the Jerusalem Council. A problem has come up in the church. And the problem is, all of a sudden, some of the old school Jewish believers are teaching that these new Gentile converts uh, from the other side of the tracks, they need to be circumcised. And they need to start following the law. And this is, you say, Daniel, what's the big deal with that? Here's the big deal with this Broadway Baptist. What will end up happening is if the church doesn't get this right, you'll end up with two different groups. You're going to have Jewish Christians and you'll have Gentile Christians. And they'll each be believing different things and practicing different things. And that's why the Jerusalem Council, I want y'all to know something about church life. 99.9% of decisions we make here, including myself, are pretty much, you know, what color carpet are we going to have? What songs Gene going to sing? Who's going to be the D-Now preacher? What, what's the schedule look like down in the kitchen? I mean, most decisions, vast majority of decisions, are not gospel-centered decisions. Meaning, whether or not you pick this or pick that, it's not going to be in conflict with the Word of God. It's like missions. Whether or not we go to Vermont, we go to Seattle, or we go down the street for Lexington. The truth is, what are we doing? Missions. We're still preaching the same gospel. It's the same book. We're still leading lost people to Jesus Christ. So there's no real... I mean, missions is missions. But every now and then, once upon a blue moon, an issue might come up in a church. Come up among the brothers where a true decision has to be made. And I'll tell you, it came up. You know, this is a Southern Baptist church. We are rooted and founded on the Bible. But in the late 1990s, some things were going on. There's 45,000 Southern Baptist churches. But in the late 90s, there were some churches that were tolerating homosexuals in their, in their congregations. And they were, it wasn't a lot, but there was a small number. And they were ordaining female pastors. And in the year 2000, the Southern Baptist Convention updated what they call the Baptist Faith and Message. And if you ever want a cop, just let me know. We have them here in Brother Hurd's office. Now, we believe in the Bible, but in practice, our church subscribes to something like 
majority of Southern Baptist churches called the Baptist Faith and Message. And they included a new article in the year 2000. So that was 20 years ago. I remember it came up. I was in college. And they included the saying, the office of pastor is limited to a man, and the family is defined by one man and one woman, and homosexuality is a sin. Now, that hadn't been updated since 1963. So you think, well, in 1963, they didn't have to define that. But in the year 2000, because things started coming up, and those churches, all of a sudden, that were tolerating this stuff, they withdrew and went on and did their own things and uh, basically drifted away from Scripture. We're about to see something here. That the Jerusalem Council is making a decision that is foundational because it's about the doctrine of salvation. And there's a decision. What that young man preached about this morning was so foundational to young people's life. If you do not know how to define family, sexuality, and biblical relationships, you will be like, you'll just drift off out here. Parents, grandparents, it is your responsibility to teach your children and grandchildren what marriage, sexuality, and appropriate relationships look like. Now, for us today, our issue is not circumcision. I mean, it's just not. Nobody is talking. We, there's no issue. Probably won't come up in a business meeting about circumcision. But I want you to know those issues I just named, family, sexuality, and appropriate relationships, that's the issue for today. That's our Jerusalem Council. That's where you have to be rooted in God's Word and be, as the young preacher said, fused with the Scripture on knowing what is true. So let's, we're going to start there. And then I want to tell you why we're going to turn to Revelation. Because I'm going to show you all a church called the Church of Pergamon. They couldn't get it right. And they died. When a church is not rooted in Scripture, it becomes what is called a compromising church. And the Bible says that is where Satan made his home. We are not a compromising church. We are rooted. But the day that a church starts changing and tolerating and allowing certain things to be taught among the brothers here. We will become a compromising church. Just because we're not a compromising church in 2020 doesn't mean in 2027 we won't be one. Because there's many dead churches in our city that are slowly dying out because they've compromised God's Word. Someone here in this church sent me a Facebook message of a church on the other end of town that was selling their building. You always wonder, why would a church sell its building? Hopefully it sold it to another church. But you wonder, did this church compromise God's Word? Did they lose their passion for the Gospel and for missions and for 
praying for our missionaries reaching Seattle and Vermont and Lexington with the good news. Because once you lose that, all of a sudden, well, what else do you have to stand on? What do you stand for? This church stands for missions. This church stands for reaching teenagers. That's why we have a Youth Sunday. This church stands for seeing children and college students. Next Sunday, after the 1109 service, and I believe actually, Chris, you have it after the Sunday school too. Chris has a, uh, uh, is it spaghetti, Chris? Is that what you, yeah, you're shaking his spaghetti fundraiser for the college students to go to Whitley City on a mission trip for spring break. That's important. You're planting gospel seeds in college students' lives so they can start doing mission work. Open your Bibles here. Acts chapter 15. I want you to follow along. <clears throat> Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. The brothers are saved, folks. Let me tell you what's going on here. It says they came down. That means they didn't go down the stairs or down the hill. What it meant is, remember where are they at? This is the interlude period between the first and the second missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas. So what happened was, they have landed in Antioch. If you remember where's Antioch, it's north of Israel. It's in current day Turkey. Back in Bible times, it was an area called Syria. And what happened was, the church had become the missionary sending area and center there in Antioch. Paul was in Antioch teaching. But the central headquarters was still in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's very Jewish. That's the, Jew, that's the Jewish capital. Antioch, up there, that would be a Gentile city. There aren't a lot of Jews up in Antioch. These are people who are not Jewish. So these men came down. Down means Jerusalem is on a hill, so you're always going down. And plus, the Bible talks about going down anytime you leave Jerusalem. doesn't matter where you're going. You're going down. Because in the mind of a Jew, Jerusalem is at the top. Anywhere else, you're going downhill. So these men, are, they're going to go down, and they're going to check out some teachings that's going on in Antioch. And, they're, and these are they're, they're, they're a, a problems about to happen. Here we go. And this is what they teach. Verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Could you all imagine somebody standing up here saying that? Preacher comes in and says, Broadway, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Y'all laugh at him. Think, who is this guy? Where did he come from? But I want y'all to know 2,000 years ago, this was the issue. Today, the issue would be, a man comes in here and says, you know what, y'all need to tone it down. A preach pastor of yours needs to tone it down, preaching against certain types of sin. Y'all don't need to be talking about marriage and sexuality. You just need to say, live for Jesus. Go out and serve your community. Very vague terms. But you nail down and drill down into the specifics. That's when you start getting the pushback. But here the pushback is over the doctrine of salvation. Over circumcision. 
After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, look at this, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. So what that meant was, don't miss that Bible verse. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with these guys, and Paul could argue. And it's a serious debate. That meant this, they were having all-night theological conversations. And it wasn't getting resolved. And these guys have come down from Jerusalem, and they're telling all the men, you've got to be circumcised. And there's a problem coming up in the church there in Antioch. We've got this issue. Look what goes on to say there. Verse 4, four 3. So what's happening is they're, um, they're going to have to address this in Jerusalem. They're realizing, okay, we've got to go up a level. Verse 3. Well, they had been sent on their way by the church. They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. That meant as they passed through going to Jerusalem, they continued sharing the gospel. That's what a true missionary does. You never miss an opportunity. Even on the road, you tell people about the Lord when you're passing through. When you're on vacation, you go to church. When you travel, you always talk about Jesus. You never miss an opportunity. That's what we just got from that verse there. And it says, They brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders. And they reported all that God had done. That's what missionaries do. They give a report. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. They say, What are Pharisees doing at the church? Now remember, some Pharisees in Acts chapter 6... Verse 7, it says they got saved. They were believers. So we even had some... Now remember, a Pharisee is like a political party. It's like a, it's like a Democrat getting saved. That's just a joke. Sherry, thank you for laughing. Oh, God, I appreciate it. So you've got political party folks turning their lives to the Lord. But they're teaching wrong doctrine. So look what happens here. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. See, this is one of those, you know, that's 99.9% .9 of decisions in churches are just, hey, it's just about preference. If you want to do this, you do this. But this is not a preference issue. This is a doctrinal issue. This is when you have to make a stand. This is when you have to put your Bible down and say, wait a minute. We've got to open up this book and actually see what the Word of God says. There's some issues that are more important than others, and this is one of them. After there had been much debate, of course, much debate, here we are in Jerusalem debating, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us. Do you know what He's talking about? I'm going to turn back a couple of pages in my Bible. I'm going to read Acts 10, 44. A man named Peter went to someone's house named Cornelius, 
who was a Gentile. I want to read you these verses. It's not on the screen. This is bonus material. Verse 1044 of Acts. While Peter was still speaking these words, look at this. The Holy Spirit came down on all who heard the message. That we're in a Gentile's house. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out. Look at this. Even on the Gentiles. That means an uncircumcised man just received the Holy Spirit. And the circumcised believers thinking, Wow! I've never seen such. The Holy Spirit has now come down upon them. This is what we call, in verse chapter 10 of Acts, we read a few months or so ago, the Gentile Pentecost. It started out as a Jewish Pentecost, then we went to Samaria, Samaritan Pentecost, now we have the Gentile Pentecost. There at Caesarea, at Cornelius' house, which was the Roman capital of Israel, not Jewish at all. This is the Roman capital. The Holy Spirit's coming down on. And what's happening here, if you flip back in your Bible to Acts chapter 15, it says here, Peter is re, re, rehashing, re, recalling this story. Go back to verse 9. 15, 9 in Acts. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? Peter just says, guys, why are you making it so hard? This is a yoke. It's difficult. Coming to Jesus should be easy. It's not a set of rules. You come as a sinner. You come and place your faith in Jesus. He washes you white as snow. And then you walk out a saved person. And you begin to live. You can't clean up your life out there and then come in here. You come in here dirty. And God cleans you up. And then you go out and you live for Him. This aisle here should have sinners walking down. it, Giving their lives. To Jesus. We come to Him as we are. Look what it says. Verse 11. On the contrary, we are, believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. In the same way they are. There it is. We're saved by God's grace. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas. And Paul described all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James responded. Now, all the different apostles are speaking up. This is why it's important. If you're ever in a meeting, and it's, you know, again, 99.9% .9 of meetings, Gene, and you've been in a lot of church meetings, are just over trivial stuff. I mean, it's just budget, committee. I mean, it's important, but it's not, it's not doctrinally important. But when it comes across a doctrine, Notice who's speaking up. Peter spoke up. Look at this. 
Barnabas and Paul spoke up. Now James, the brother of Jesus, he's speaking up. Because they know, hey, this is foundational. Men, if you're in one of these meetings, you need to speak up. You know, I think about in my lifetime, Sherry, I think probably the only time that I have truly been in a meeting that really had to be addressed, a doctrinal issue, like a serious issue. I have to be careful because we're on TV or on, on, on internet TV. Um, a deacon's wife ran off with another man. And I was in the deacon's meeting and we had to address it. Because she was in a leadership position in that church. And she wasn't hardly coming at all anymore. But our deacon sent a letter to her asking her to repent. It was a doctrinal issue. It was just, it was open immorality. It was something that, and people knew about it. You, you just can't, it, you can't pretend it didn't happen. It, it, was, it was one that a line was been, has, been has been crossed. And, a state, and we basically, it was a church discipline issue. And it was something, and it, it, got, it got resolved. She basically said, just take me off the church roll. I don't care anymore. You, she ran off with somebody else. And she, we dropped her as a member and just informed it. And the next church business meeting, is, we went through <clears throat> proper protocol there, Matthew chapter 16, of addressing someone in sin. And that was the right thing to do. We sent a certified letter. She laughed at it, but you know, that's, that's between her and the Lord. But it was one of those things where it had to be addressed. Because otherwise, you look at the church and go, why, why would the church tolerate open immorality, unrepentant immorality, making a mockery of Scripture and the Lord? That's, that's a Jerusalem Council issue. Keep going here in your Bible. And you notice all the important disciples here are speaking up on this issue. I want y'all to know, there, there might not be as many Jerusalem council issues here in, in, in like a church such as Broadway because we are rooted in Scripture. I promise you, probably 30, 40 years ago there could have been. But usually when a church, what happens for a church like Broadway that's rooted on the Bible, that has solid leaders in here, our problem isn't a biblical problem. Our problem becomes missions drift. What I mean by that is, we know our Bible, we stand on God's Word, but we've gotten lazy and lackadaisical on reaching people for Jesus. And that's our issue. Where we need to be reignited in reaching this lost and dying city for Jesus Christ. Because we don't have doctrine. To my knowledge, there are no doctrinal, there are no Jerusalem Council issues here at Broadway Baptist Church. Yes, there's little things. There always will be little things here. But th that, that this, is, this is the doctrine of salvation. Because there are people saying, guys, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. And they're basically saying, kingdom of God's not for you. And they're turning people away from the church. So notice the key people here are all speaking up. Keep going here in your Bible. James responded, latter part of verse 13. James responded, Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simeon has reported, and Simeon's Peter, how God first intervened to take 
from the Gentiles, the people, for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this. What it's written, what is so powerful about this. Do you know what they're doing? When there's a doctrinal issue, they're going back to the Old Testament. They're, they're turning to the Scriptures. Do you know where we find answers to our life's questions on doctrinal issues? It's in this book. They're quoting Amos chapter 9, and they're quoting Isaiah chapter 45 right here. They're going to find the solution and the answers to their problem in this book. I want to finish the story I was telling earlier. Like I said, you might not find the doctrinal issues here, Jerusalem Council issues at Broadway Baptist Church. Now I say that, watch one come up next year or something. But in your personal home, in what your children and your grandchildren and your family members, what you tolerate and allow to come through the TV, the internet, what's allowed to be stored in the refrigerator, that's Jerusalem Council issues for your home. And you have to be rooted in the gospel. You guard your home like you guard a church. We want to be a doctrinally pure, mission-focused church here. You want your house. And when you have family members come to your house, you want them to be rooted in, in Scripture, knowing, hey, you're, you're, you come to this house, you're following under our rules. Sherry and I had the middle school boys over our house this past weekend. First night was a little wild. They, they felt they wanted to stay up to 4 a.m. And I was in charge that night. I literally had to sit on the steps like this. Boys, come on. Be quiet. Over. I mean, it was just... Anyway, the second night, Sherry said, okay, I'm, I'm in charge now. <laughs> she stepped in and took care of matters. So we're going to have to solve this. But I share that because uh, the, the boys, most of them don't go to church. And I informed them that I said, you know, I go to church two times on Sunday morning. And... <laughs> I don't know if y'all saw, I had to go out two times and leave. Did y'all notice that? This morning at the 9 o'clock service, I informed them they're going to church twice. Well, our six people at our house, I notice, I look around, I go, where's our customers we brought? They're eating donuts, and they were playing ping pong in the youth room, Brother Hurt. So I had to make a trip down there and said, that's not why we come to church. We don't come to church to play ping pong and eat donuts. So we just had to round them up. Because that's not why you come to church to hear the gospel preached and proclaimed. If, I, if you're going to stay at my house and do the things you do, you're coming to church the next morning to hear about Jesus. And that's what your home needs to be. That's a doctrinally pure house. That's a Jerusalem council that says, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I can't control your house, but you can control your own home, and you can have influence at your church. You protect those two institutions. Your home, your family, and your church. And what, and then what you protect them about is you don't protect them about stuff that doesn't matter. Don't get on your high horse about non-important issues. You get on your high horse about, number one, we're going to church. We're going to be a Bible-centered, and there's certain things that will not happen here. Certain things in the, in the TV, in the internet. We don't talk that way. We don't listen to that type of music. That's, those are Jerusalem Council issues. Keep going here in your Bibles. Verse 16. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again. 
so the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Look at this. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. They're quoting the scripture to affirm that even in the Old Testament, God said that Gentiles would be getting saved. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. We should not make it difficult for, for others here. But instead we should write to them to abstain from these things polluted by idols, from sexual immoralities, from eating anything that has been strangled and from blood. For since ancient times Moses had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he read aloud at the synagogues. So what has happening here is they have made it a point as a council to say, we're not going to make it difficult by requiring someone to get circumcised because all you need is faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. But we will recommend that they certainly don't need to eat things polluted by idols, practice sexual immorality, drink blood, anything like that. They need to avoid those things as well. But the doctrine of salvation circumcision is not part of it you do not have to follow the law to be saved what he's saying here we're always tempted to add something to be saved meaning jesus plus fill in the blank and all it is is salvation is jesus there's not anything plus is jesus you place your faith in jesus and he saves you that's it. That is what it means by saved by God's grace. Alright, so now they're going to send a letter. A doctrinal letter to the church here in, um, in Antioch. So what's happened? Remember, we're down in Jerusalem. We're at the capital. And we've decided, because we've heard from all the key leaders, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, all spoke up. And it says, you do not need to be circumcised. But now we've got to send an official letter to let the church up in Antioch know this. Look at verse 22. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men who were among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. Verse 23. They wrote, from the apostles and the elders, your brothers... To the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Verse 24. Since we have heard that some, without, look at this, our authorization, meaning these people who came up to Antioch were not authorized. We did not approve of them. They just showed up and were teaching something wrong. Went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts. Verse 25, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Saul, or Paul. Verse 26, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision, so important, this is why we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and ours. The Holy Spirit is the one 
who saves the Gentiles who are uncircumcised. And it's their decision as well. So they are in tune with the Holy Spirit not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements. That you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. So that's their letter there they sent. They basically said the Holy Spirit's the one who sent His Spirit among the Gentiles. He's the one who saved. We affirm that. And I'm just going to give you some more practical uh, advice as well. Don't eat food, sacrifice animals. Stay away from sexual immorality as well as don't drink blood or don't become a vampire or anything like that. So what's happening here is they are making it very clear in writing to the church in Antioch that these, these folks that came to them, they were not, they weren't approved. Verse 30. So they sent off and went down to Antioch. So they're headed to Antioch. And look at this. After gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They were glad to hear that you know, we're going to have to start teaching circumcision. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. So they used to preach sermons that were long. It was a long message they proclaimed. After spending, thank you Sherry for laughing, after spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch. They stayed up there teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. Pull out your insert here, your bulletin insert. Look here. Back in Bible times, the issue was circumcision. What's the issue today? What's our Jerusalem Council moment here in 2020? I want you to reference this. Pull it out. This is why you always need your bulletin, sir. Here it is. Gender. God created a man and a woman. It's not an accident. People should not be trying to change their gender or pretending they're a different gender. That is not God's plan nor His purpose. You need to know what the Bible says. If you do not know, right here you can read at home. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It tells us that God created a male and female. There's only two genders. Number two, the second issue for today is homosexuality. You know, there was these two cities. They were on the plain. And they were near the Dead Sea, the, south, the southern part of the Dead Sea. It was called Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah is where Lot went and lived. This is Abraham's nephew. Sodom and Gomorrah had a reputation such as San Francisco. When you think of San Francisco, do you think of Bible-believing churches? Do you think of revival? Do you think of just gospel preaching, folks getting saved? Probably not. You don't. Why? You probably have the same thoughts such as a city as Sodom and Gomorrah. The word sodomy is where we get homosexuality from. It comes from the Bible, actually. Sodom and Gomorrah. If you read this story, it's in Genesis 18, 20. You read it at home. In Genesis 19, 4 through 7. 
couple of angels came there to rescue Lot. And the men of the city found out that these angels were there in their city. And at nighttime, the men came to Lot's house and started breaking the door down to have sex with the male angels. That's called homosexuality. The angels blinded the men in the city, took Lot by the hand, and literally, he wasn't going to leave if he didn't take him by the hand, and drag him out. Lot tried to bring his, he had three daughters. He had to bring them. They were all engaged. His son-in-laws laughed at their father-in-law. Thought he was a joke. We're not leaving the city. I love it here. This is Lexington. We have everything we want. There's nothing wrong with this town. When they got out of the city, God did something to those two little towns, Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed them with burning sulfur from heaven. It rained down. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was called here in Genesis 18.20 an extremely serious sin. It was the sin of homosexuality. The sin of homosexuality is pervading America and it's destroying families and young, not just young people, all people. And God does not tolerate it. We have to know where, you have to know, not just me, I already know. I know where Broadway stands, I know what the Bible says. You need to know where you stand on that issue. I want you to know something. If you turn on your TV tonight, and you flip on Netflix, or you flip on the Hallmark Channel, or you flip on Hulu, or whatever you watch, and there's filth on there with homosexuality going on, brother, you need to turn that off. There's no place for the believer. That You should just rename that show Sodom and Gomorrah. And then open up your Bible and read. I mean, the stuff came out of heaven. God destroyed that place. There's no place in the Christian's life. Lot, literally, this is what was going on. It Lot, he was sitting there, just sitting in his chair. And the angels come to him and say, we've got to go. God is going to destroy this place. Oh, come on, man. I've got the remote. This, just chill out. Just get a new lock on the door. Those guys are calm. They're just drunk. Just, it's okay. It will wear off in the morning. The angels grabbed their hand, yanked them out of the chair and said, we're getting out of here. You're going to sit in your chair or sit on your couch tonight and you watch that filth. You are aligning with Lot and the angel is pulling you out of it. Guys, it's garbage. It's not for us. Do you know why Hollywood makes that trash? Because people consume it. And if you watch it, they'll keep making it. That's 2020 issue. If you don't know where you stand, you will get sucked into that culture. It just drifts, you just drift along. Don't even think about it. There's one more issue you need to know about. Look here. Marriage. Brother Hurd, when you started in the the ministry in the 1800s, could you imagine two men coming to you and saying, I'd like to get married? That's unimaginable. 
several decades ago. A church has to be ready to say, we only marry one man and one woman. That's it. That's how we perform marriages here. Do you know God performed the first marriage? It's in Genesis 2, 24. Adam and Eve, it says he brought them together. Marriage, the word marriage actually comes from God. It's not, a, it's not something from the government. Marriage is, a holy, is holy matrimony from the Lord between one man and one woman. You should never attend a same-sex wedding. You should not send gifts to people who are... You, you just don't... Pray. Two men or two women get married, you don't even recognize it. It's not biblical. It goes everything against the Scriptures. And if you support that, if you attend that stuff, if you buy presents or give money to people doing that, or you recognize a man married to another man, you're, 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 you're pulling what Lot did at Sodom. You're just giving in to it. That's a Jerusalem Council issue in 2020. Look at this. Look on your bulletin insert. The very bottom. I put up here on the board, Chris, this little handout. Fill in the blank. It says, Christians must know when something's essential. Keep going, Chris. Essential and when to be flexible. One more slide. One more. Okay. It's not up on the screen, I guess. <clears throat> Look here if you have your hand out. I don't want y'all to miss this. Essential. This is what's essential. Scripture, the person of Jesus, salvation, missions. Church, we stand on those things. Somebody comes in here and starts saying the Bible's wrong, or Jesus doesn't save, or... Uh, Salvation is also through Buddha and through Islam. And we don't need to do missions anymore. Let's just not tell anybody about Jesus. That's essential doctrines. That's where you stand. That's Jerusalem Council issues. That's what you protect. Now that's what's essential. The other thing here is times you need to be flexible. Flexible is where you, just, you have to give. I have to give. We all do. Worship style. Worship style changes. We have two worship styles here. Budgets. Budgets change all the time. You can amend and update your budget. Buildings. Church buildings look different. You remodel buildings. I mean, just stuff like that. You can't... You don't die over your pews. Buildings look different wherever you go. And committees. Another one. Committees come and go. You can update your committees. Different people roll on, roll off. Committees make different types of decisions. You might not agree with them. That's not an issue. That's a Jerusalem Council issue. We have to know the difference between essential and flexible. We're out of time to turn there, but I'm going to quickly tell you. Don't put your stuff up yet. I don't want to just tell you what Revelation chapter 2 says. We're out of time, but I'm going to tell you what it says. There was a church called Pergamum in Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. The church at Pergamum is what we know as the compromising church. You say, what do you mean the compromising church? When a church allows false doctrine 
and wrongful beliefs and teachings to creep into it, it compromises it. And the church of Pergamum is important because I want you, don't miss this. It says, Bible says, in verse 13, the church of Pergamum is where Satan's throne is. Chris, throw that up there. Verse, Revelation 2.13. It's where Satan's throne is. It's where he lives. Look at this. His throne. Where Satan, look at this. This is not a positive story about their church. Do you know why he lived at that church, Broadway? Because they had compromised the word of God. Once you start giving in on the essential items in this church and in your family's life, you have literally allowed the devil inside of your home. The devil can come into this church. And he does it through compromises. If this church starts marrying men, if this church starts tolerating homosexuality, if this church starts allowing um, different people of genders to cross-dress and uh, transgender, and no one knows what a man is, and you quit using he, and you replace it with them. Guys, you've compromised the Word of God. And you know all of those were set in Genesis 1 and 2. And it's so clear. Once that church started compromising Pergamum, the devil moved in. This is how the devil is destroying churches in 2020. And it's through compromising doctrine. Tonight, I want you to think, what is my Jerusalem council issue? Do I know what I believe on essential issues? Do I know what I believe on gender? Do I know what I believe on homosexuality? And do I know what I believe, and can I back it up by Scripture, on marriage? Because if you don't know what you're going to believe, you will find yourself just drifting along with culture. Just like that preacher said this morning with the teenagers. For D now, you will not be fused to Scripture and know what's foundational for relationships. You just drift. You drift and drift. And you'll be just like Lot, where you'll just be sitting there and when an angel in the Lord comes and speaks to you, you just sit back in your lazy boy. Hey, it's just rated PG-13. It's just rated R. I don't use that kind of language. I don't do that stuff. And you just watch it and don't even think about it. Lot had to be pulled out of his chair and pulled out of that city. What's your Jerusalem Council issue? Because it's here. We're here today. God, I pray tonight that if there's anybody here that does not know what they believe on doctrinal issues, essential issues, I pray tonight that they will be rooted in Scripture. They will be spoken to by the You, Holy Spirit. Lord, we are Bible-believing people and we go to our graves Standing on this book. Lord, there is no one else that saves but you. I pray that you help our church 
Continue to be a church that's focused on missions, that's focused on reaching lost people, and that's focused on soul winning our city starting right here in Lexington for the gospel. Jesus, I pray if there's anybody here that needs to join this church, they need to commit, they need to unite with a Bible-believing church. Lord, this is the one for them. God, this is your invitation. In your name we pray. Amen. We close every single service here with the invitation. Let's stand together. Gene King's going to lead us in our song. Betty on the piano. I'll be waiting for you to respond. Let's stand together and sing.